Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Rob. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is a partnership with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And the program is called Updates from the 45th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium on Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And I know that we've done a number of programs on triple negative breast cancer, but I think this is kind of a highlight of the year um, to hear what has been presented um, at San Antonio. And uh, today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, a grant from Genentech, and an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And we have a lot of you on the call today. There's over 306 participants. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have a number of international participants from Canada, India, Ireland, Lithuania, Nigeria, Portugal, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Virginia Kaklamani, and Dr. Kaklamani is Professor of Medicine, Ruth McLean, Bauman Bowers Chair in Breast Cancer Research and Treatment, A.B. Alexander Distinguished Chair in Oncology, Leader Breast Oncology Program, UT Health San Antonio MD Anderson Cancer Center, and Dr. Uh, Kaklamani will be addressing an overview of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, Omicron, and seasonal flu. New research on triple negative breast cancer presented at SABCS, triple negative breast cancer specific treatment updates, and updates on clinical trials and advancing treatment choices. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kaklamani. Well, thank you, Dr. Messner, for the kind introduction, and thank you all for listening in today. Uh, so, yes, the 45th SABCS just finished. It was uh, very rich in research and in patient care. So um, uh, let's get started with uh, with our triple negative breast cancer updates. And, you know, this whole COVID-19 seasonal flu, it, it, really, it really has made things a little bit harder for our patients and for us as well. We know that patients with triple negative breast cancer typically receive chemotherapy, some sort of chemotherapy, and so when they get sick from from viruses, this typically delays care. So we've we've uh, encouraged all of our patients to get vaccinated with the new uh, uh, boosters for COVID and with the the new flu shots, and 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 to be smart about how. Um, how they they conduct their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to be masked and and, and be wearing uh, you know KN94 masks and and shields 
but but if you know that you're going into a high risk environment, then maybe masking is, is is a good idea. Not necessarily just for COVID, but also for all the other viruses. Um, so the, the the cases of viruses are up, and 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 this may sometimes cause delays in our in our chemotherapy, which we know is even more important to give at a timely manner for our patients with triple negative breast cancer. Now, as far as the, the breast cancer symposium, there was a lot of uh, talk on triple negative breast cancer in general and the new treatments out there. But before we go into the new treatments, one of the, the studies that looked at a specific um, addition of uh, a chemotherapeutic drug, it was probably not advertised as much, but for us, it was a, a wonderful study to, to see presented. So when we have patients that have early stage triple negative breast cancer and we give them chemotherapy, we typically give a three-drug combination that includes um, medication called uh, uh, doxorubicin and another medication, which is a taxane. And we've argued for a very long time whether we should add a fourth medication, uh, which is uh, platinum. And we've had some studies in the past that showed that maybe adding this medication helps. Obviously, the more medications we give, the more uh, side effects we cause for our patients. And finally, at this year's symposium, there was a large study that looked at adding carboplatin to the, the chemotherapy for early-stage breast cancer, and it showed that it does help improve outcomes for our patients. So I think based on that, the, 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 the addition of carboplatin has become more standard of care for patients with triple negative breast cancer. A lot of the other updates really had to do with uh, the, the, this new class of drugs that we're using for triple negative breast cancer called antibody drug conjugates. Now, what does that mean? These are kind of smart drugs. These are antibodies, but on them they have a toxin, which is typically a chemotherapy toxin. And the reason we call them SMART is we all know that the way chemotherapy works is it goes all over the body and attacks every fast-growing cell in the body, regardless of whether that cell is a cancer cell or not. And chemotherapy doesn't differentiate. It just attacks fast-growing cells. And that's why we have hair loss with chemotherapy, our blood counts drop. We have a lot of other side effects. Well, these new uh, class of drugs only attack the cells that have a specific marker on them that the antibody targets. And so the hope is that they'll be a little more targeted because they will preferentially attack cancer cells. Now, obviously, nothing works 100% the way we envision it, and these markers can be present in other cells. So they're not 100% only killing cancer cells. They may kill some other cells that we don't want them to kill, but they're definitely easier to tolerate and in, in the past couple of years, we also found that they are more effective than our, our general chemotherapy drugs. So one of these new drugs that we've, we've heard about for the past year or so is called DATO-DXD. And, and in this year's symposium, there was some updated results showing that it is very effective in, in patients with triple negative breast cancer. So this is a drug that is going to be moving on to larger clinical trials, comparing it to chemotherapy. And the, the hope and thought is that it will outperform chemotherapy in, in patients with triple negative breast cancer. 
Um, as I mentioned, this is not the only antibody drug conjugate that we have out there. There's another one called sesuctizumab, and this drug has been approved for triple negative breast cancer. We know that it works very well. Again, it works better than chemotherapy. And this is also moving on to other clinical trials with um, more patients and early on. And, and the hope is that these drugs will move from, from metastatic breast cancer to early stage breast cancer. And, and, and the hope is that they'll help cure more women with, um, with triple negative breast cancer. Now, one of the big stories in the past few years on triple negative breast cancer has been the use of immunotherapy. And, and what is immunotherapy? Immunotherapy is our drugs that help our immune system attack the cancer. Our immune system is, is extremely smart. It recognizes anything that's foreign, recognizes viruses, bacteria, anything. Whatever is foreign, it recognizes it and it attacks it. And the cancer cells are foreign as well. And so initially, our immune system looks at the cancer cells and says, oh, you guys don't belong here. I need to kill you. Well, unfortunately, the cancer cells get pretty smart too. And so they've developed these receptors, these proteins on them that fool the immune system into thinking that they're not foreign. And so the immune system looks at these receptors and says, oh, well, I guess these are normal cells. We're not going to attack them. Well, these drugs that have been developed are able to block that connection between the cancer cell and the immune cell. So the immune cell now recognizes the cancer cell as what it is, a cancer cell. And so it allows the immune system to kill the cancer cells. Now, these, uh, these drugs don't work on every cancer, and they don't work on every breast cancer. But it seems like they preferentially work on certain types of breast cancers. And those are the types of breast cancers that already have an immune response. So the immune system has already kind of figured out there's something there, and they're kind of lingering, and they're waiting there for something to tell them to attack the cancer cells. So we've been using these immune, uh, immune, cell, immune therapies both for early-stage breast cancer but also for metastatic breast cancer, and we've found very good results. Patients are able to live longer because of these drugs. Uh, the cancer doesn't come back as often, and, and, and thankfully, these drugs are not very toxic. They can still have some side effects because whenever you trigger the immune system, you can cause inflammation in other organs. So some people may have an inflammation on their thyroid gland, and that can lead to the thyroid gland not working very well or working more than it should. Um, and so they're definitely not without any toxicity, but in general, they are um, they're well-tolerated drugs, and, and, and we typically combine them with chemotherapy. Um, and, and another area that is really new this year is this area of HER2 low breast cancer. And, you know, we know triple negative, and we know triple negative because of what it is not. It is not estrogen positive, it is not progesterone positive, and it's not HER2 positive. But what is it? And, and so some of these triple negative breast cancers have a little bit of HER2 expression, not a lot. They're not HER2 positive, but they're HER2 low. And it seems that one therapy that we've used very successfully for HER2 positive breast cancers is also effective in these HER2 low breast cancers. And so we've started using this therapy, and this is another antibody drug conjugate, and it's called 
trastuzumab deroxicam or TDXD. And, and so for the type, the kind of triple negative breast cancer that has a little bit of HER2 expression, this is now considered a standard option for our patients. And it helps improve our outcomes and, again, outperforms chemotherapy. So when I looked at the whole symposium this year, um, I was struck by the fact that there was really one trial that was a chemotherapy-only trial presented. And this is the trial I mentioned initially with the, with the triple negative early breast cancer where we added another chemotherapy drug. Every other trial that was, that was presented was looking at targeted drugs. There were antibody drug conjugates, there were antibodies, there were um, AKT inhibitors, a lot of other drugs, but they were not chemotherapy. So, so we're moving away from chemotherapy. We're, 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 we're performing clinical trials that are, are using smarter drugs that attack parts of the cancer and not, and not necessarily attack the rest of the body. So you know, if, if, we, if we looked at what was presented at the symposium five years ago or 10 years ago compared to now, it really is a, is a, is a big change and, and in my mind, a big improvement because we're moving away from chemotherapy and moving toward smarter drugs. So I will leave you with that and, and happy to take comments or questions at the end of, of all of our presentations. Thank you so much, Dr. Kakamai. That was an outstanding presentation, um, really just outstanding and um, really stellar. You really set the tone for today's program, and I know there'll be questions to you during the Q&A. Thank you so much, and thanks for highlighting different components of the meeting today that are relevant to everyone on the call today. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Kamal Abu Hussein. And Dr. Hussein is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University, Adjunct Assistant Professor, Department of Breast Medical Oncology, MD Anderson Cancer Center. He's also co-director of the Janet Knowles Breast Cancer Program, and he's director of the Breast Cancer Clinical Trials, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper. And Dr. Hussein will be addressing the increasing role of diagnostic testing biomarkers, and genetic testing in informing treatment decisions, options, um, investigational new therapies in clinical trials, new developments in the prevention and management of treatment side effects and symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hussein. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, for the kind introduction. Um, so the triple negative breast cancer subset is this type that is negative for the three markers, the estrogen, the progesterone, and the HER2 markers. And we know that the natural history of this disease is it has a higher tendency to recur and come back, a higher level of mortality, unfortunately. And that is why it's been the focus of a lot of research and a lot of clinical trials. And as Dr. Kaklamani mentioned, uh, for a very long time, its only options for treatment really were in the form of cytotoxic chemotherapies. But thankfully, the pendulum is um, shifting away from that concept, and we're seeing a lot of um, new classes that are used for this type of disease. Uh, as mentioned, we now can use immune check 
point blockers. We can use uh, agents like PARP inhibitors. The antibody drug conjugate, which really have made a revolution in this disease, and um, they have shown benefits and um, significant improvement in the outcome from the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. We also are understanding that not all triple negative breast cancers are alike, and there's a lot of research that was done and currently continues to be done that is uh, focused on subclassifying triple negative breast cancer into different intrinsic or molecular subtypes. And those subtypes behave differently and would respond differently to different agents. So hopefully that's a good starting point on the road to the triple negative precision treatment. And in treating cancer, this has been one of the first fields in medicine that applied the concept of precision medicine. And several kinds of genetic and non-genetic tests for breast cancer are available now that could help us personalize the treatment decisions. So some of the testing is geared to clarifying the inherited risk. This means the risk that is included in your genetic makeup, which determines your personal risk of developing breast cancer or other types of cancers over the course of lifetime of a person. And we've learned that the inherited risk accounts for about 10 to 15% of all breast cancer cases. And uh, the same test get, can be used to determine if a person would respond to a specific drug for their treatment is the genetic testing. And an example for that is patients that carry a germline mutation called the BRCA1 and 2. Those are patients that could benefit from the use of BARB inhibitors. Now, genetic testing is a recommendation for all the triple negative breast cancer patients, regardless of their age at diagnosis and regardless of their family history. The decision to use uh, immunotherapy, as Dr. Kalmani mentioned, is based um, on whether the patient has a positive result for a test called PDL1, and that is mainly in the metastatic or the advanced setting. While in the early stage setting, we don't normally test for that. We also touched on the new class of agents, the antibody drug conjugates. This is such a smart design that is identifying a certain marker on the surface of the cell and developing an antibody linked to a chemotherapy that is released inside the cancer cells in the hope that we direct our therapies better and decrease toxicity from treatment. So right now we have an approval for the sasituzumab govitikan or Trudelvi. And also, uh, Dr. Kaklamani mentioned the Day2DXD, which is a very exciting new molecule that uh, was reported initially a couple of years ago in an early phase clinical trial called the Tropion Pantumor 01 study, which was a basket trial that looked at different types of cancers, and it showed about a 30% or even higher response rate in the triple negative patients. And some of those patients were treated previously with the sasituzumab uh, drug. Right now, this agent is being tested in the late phase clinical trials uh, for uh, metastatic disease. And it's also being tested in the neoadjuvant setting. This means the treatment that is before surgery in the hope that we can shrink down the cancer and hopefully make it even disappeared. Um, we also touched on the concept of the HER2 low, and historically we used to test for the HER2 marker, and it was either positive or negative based on whether it's meeting a certain threshold in testing. 
Now we understand that there is a zone called the HER2 low in between, and a lot of our patients who were treated for triple negative metastatic disease, when we look back and see their, their testing, we see that they fall in this category. So I think it's um, something that I would encourage you to discuss with your oncologist if you were treated or are currently being treated for triple negative metastatic disease to clarify your HER2 status, whether it, it's a zero or a HER2 low, because that might open the door for treatment with uh, in HER2 or trastuzumab deroxidecan. Now, another very important topic is discussion of chemotherapy-related toxicity. And uh, first of all, I would like to start off by saying that the one major difference when we are treating patients with early-stage or locally advanced breast cancer um, that is aiming to curing the disease compared to somebody who is receiving palliative treatment for metastatic breast cancer is the length or duration of treatment plan. So in most cases, the treatment is expected to be ongoing all the time in the metastatic setting. And the aim here is to control, to get, get, gain good control over the disease. Um, and it's really important to focus on keeping the side effects to a minimum while providing patients with the most effective treatment that is able to control their disease. So in other words, it's really um, a time where quality of life is a main concern. So I would like to say that even though we're going to discuss some of the very common side effects and hopefully provide some information on how to best deal with those symptoms and understand them better, but the key message here is communicating with your doctor and your healthcare team, the nurses and the social worker and palliative care team and so forth. Uh, some of those symptoms might not be very clear when the patient presents initially, and there are areas of overlap that could look similar like feeling extremely fatigued versus being in pain. And some of those symptoms are going to be temporary only at the start of a new therapy, and then hopefully they will get better over time. And others are going to be longer lasting, and you might need to alert your doctor so that they could dial back on the doses, give you longer breaks to help minimize those symptoms. So it's really important to keep a journal and track those symptoms for good discussion during the visits. And I know that during prior workshops, we had a chance to talk about some of those side effects, uh, including heart health, hair loss, hand foot syndrome, mucositis, neutropenia, nausea and vomiting. So I would like to um, continue the rest of the side effect discussion. So focusing on pain, which is one of the most commonly encountered symptoms throughout the journey of treating metastatic breast cancer, this could be a symptom related to the cancer itself, in the breast or the lymph nodes or the spread of the cancer to areas in the body like the bones or spine. Also, it might be related to a medication side effect. So previously we talked about mouth sores and we talked about hand foot syndrome. Uh, also tingling and numbness that can happen as a side effect from chemotherapy called neuropathy. And this could be quite painful. So this is an area where I value the input from my colleagues from palliative care and pain management tremendously and patients can benefit from over-the-counter medications like Aleve or Tylenol, steroids or prescriptions of pain medications called opiates, antidepressant drugs, anti-seizure medications such as gabapentin, uh, also known as Neurontin, may be options. Also, it's really important to discuss the use of medical marijuana, which can play a, an important role in alleviating pain 
besides other interventions like acupuncture, meditation, and relaxation techniques. The bone pain, uh, which happens when there is involvement with cancer as a site of disease spread, could be a critical point that has to be assessed closely, and we have to see if it is at a point that is prone to developing a fracture or a break in the bone, where the patient could benefit from a referral to radiation oncology or orthopedics. Also, when we are getting chemotherapy or using growth factor that is giving, um, that's given to the patient to take care of their low white blood cell counts, there could be um, some substantial level of pain with that in the bones. So to reduce risk of developing a fracture secondary to the cancer spreading to the bones, your doctor might prescribe a bone-modifying agent. So it's a class of medications called bisphosphonates uh, or some targeted therapies like denosumab or Exgeva which can strengthen the bones and protect them from developing a fracture. We also discuss with patients taking supplements like vitamin D, calcium, and weight-bearing exercises, along with strength and resistance training exercises. Neuropathy is another side effect that chemotherapy can induce, and that normally manifests in the form of tingling and numbness, and sometimes the pain that happens most commonly in the tips of the fingers and the toes while the patients are receiving cytotoxic chemotherapy. Uh, this could impact the ability of the patient to have normal sensations in their body parts or to even be able to control their movements. And the most notorious group of medications um, that can cause that are called taxanes. So it's really important to keep close follow-up with patients and asking them uh, frequently about whether they are developing neuropathy or not, and if they are, what is the intensity of that symptom, and if it goes away or it is persistent all the time. I always remind myself and my staff to do that. And we try to quickly modify the doses of chemotherapy, try to prevent any significant levels of neuropathy. There could be also some changes in the nail and the skin there could be some changes to the sleep patterns. So insomnia and fatigue are quite big. Um, so the sleep disturbances, including that, and also feeling tired even with adequate sleep could be due to a multitude of factors during the journey of treatment. Uh, so medication side effects are a big one, ongoing pain, hot flashes or neuropathy, which might wake patients uh, up during sleep. Um, the concept of chemobrain. So chemobrain is a term that is used to describe the mental fogginess that patients sometimes experience during or after chemotherapy treatment. And this could make it hard to concentrate or remember things. And of course, it happens to varying degrees from one patient to another. But sometimes it could be quite frustrating where patients uh, report not being able to remember certain words, directions, phone numbers, names, and so forth. And there are multiple factors why that can develop. Uh, some of those are poor sleep, constant fatigue and anxiety, depression, um, fear and uncertainty, chronic stress, poor nutrition, lack of physical exercise, and pain. Over-treating or under-treating the pain could also cause that. Um, so just like we discussed with the prior symptoms, it's really important to understand what is the major contributing factor so, for example, if there is an underlying stress or depression, getting professional help to address that could also be helpful in clarifying the potential underlying factors. 
Uh, we talk to patients about keeping their space organized, trying to focus on only one task at a time so that they can stay on track. And sometimes if this symptom is very intrusive, the patients could benefit from a referral to a neuropsychologist. And that is a doctor that has special training in addressing issues of connectivity between the brain and behavior. Some medications could also be helpful, like a drug called modafinil, also known as Provigil, to try to improve the patient's concentration. Uh, sexual side effects. This is, uh, I would say, last but not the least, this is really important. And the side effects of treatment itself, whether it is just systemic chemotherapy um, in some other types of cancers for breast cancer, hormonal therapy, but also radiation therapy and, and surgery, uh, they have resultant side effects that could impact the patient's ability and desire to have sex or be intimate with their partners. And this whole treatment journey could be associated with a significant level of fear and anxiety and concerns about physical changes like losing one's hair or having scars, which could definitely impact our ability to have uh, healthy sexual feelings and motivation to be intimate overall. So a good starting point uh, if you're having a lot of discomfort in that area is to talk to your oncologist so that they could clarify the problem somehow and generate referrals to specific specialized folks. And um, uh, those could include gynecologists, uh, professional sexual health specialists, social workers, and counselors. Um, those are some of the important and bothersome issues that a lot of our patients unfortunately encounter, but there are other symptoms, of course, including uh, diarrhea, anemia, lymphedema, fertility issues, weight gain, and above all, dealing with the emotional impact and fear of breast cancer um, outcome overall from the treatment. Of course, we cannot stress all of those symptoms today because of the time limitations, but it's always the right answer to start by addressing any concerns uh, with your healthcare team. With that, I will stop here and back to you, Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hussein. Um, that was really outstanding. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful presentation. Um, and um, um, uh, thank you so much. I, I just covered uh, so many important issues, both in terms of treatment and managing side effects, um, and just really addressing that so thoroughly. Thank you so much. And our next speaker, is Arlene Brothers, and Ms. Brothers is Director of Administration, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And Ms. Brothers will be addressing the three programs of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, TNB's helpline, um, their website, and email. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Brothers. And she, of course, they are partnering with us today on today's program. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Uh, that was a very nice introduction. And thank you, uh, Dr. Kaklamani and Dr. Hussein, for your amazing presentations. Um, thank you to the other sponsors and, of course, everyone listening today. Uh, today's webinar uh, is one of many programs supported by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community, from patients to survivors to caregivers and even loved ones. Um, hopefully, everyone listening today already knows about TNBC Foundation and have been to our website, tnbcfoundation.org. And hopefully, you know about everything we offer, but just in case, I'll give you a few highlights. Uh, first, we have 
many TMBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Uh, our materials were developed with input from members of our community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TMBC. Uh, we work hard to make sure that every member of our TMBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials. So we hope you will use them to your benefit. Our website, tmbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TMBC-specific clinical trials matching services that are much easier to navigate than some other portals that are out there. Um, one is specific to clinical trials for metastatic disease, and um, one includes all TMBC trials. Our website also has a TMBC news section, and a favorite of our TMBC community is our online discussion forum. Uh, the forums, as well as our two private TMBC Foundation Facebook groups, allow you to easily connect with thousands of individuals who are living with triple negative breast cancer um, at any time of day or night. Our community members use the forums and private Facebook groups to ask questions about treatment, how to manage side effects, and specific questions like those, but more importantly, our online forums and groups offer consistent support. You can even join the discussion forums anonymously if you prefer, um, and these online resources are here to help you and remind you that you are not alone. We are there to support you. Uh, so one, one positive thing that came out of the pandemic is the creation of our new virtual programs. We have three regularly scheduled online Zoom meetups for our TMBC community that have been extremely popular. We have Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TMBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. Uh, these online su support groups have allowed us to connect as a community throughout the pandemic and now that things are going back to normal, we're, we're keeping them going because they're so popular. Um, our Zoom meetups continue to offer amazing support to the many women who join us monthly to connect, share their experiences, and build friendships. You can sign up for these meetups at tmbcfoundation.org right there on our homepage. Um, the next upcoming meetup is Thriver Thursday taking place this Thursday, December 22nd at 7 p.m. Um, after that, there's a Tuesdays with TMBC Friends on January 3rd and Metastatic Monday on January 9th. So all of that is on the homepage of our website. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook uh, or visit the website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all of our upcoming programs. Um, so speaking of SABCS, we were thrilled to be in person at SABCS this year, learning about new developments and interviewing the researchers who are working towards better treatments and eventually a cure for TMBC. Um, many of you um, online today followed us virtually during SABCS. And for those of you who didn't, all of that, um, all of that content is still available um, at our website that we specially created for this. It's your guide. To sabcs.com and there you'll find uh, medical updates from SABCS in the form of blogs as well as multiple interviews with doctors and researchers breaking down the data so uh, you can have a full understanding. If you're interested in additional information about the research coming out of the conference, your guide to sabcs.com is the place to go. 
So thank you to everyone on the call for joining us. Um, we really look forward to connecting with you on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. Uh, I'll now turn it back over to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Brothers. That was really outstanding. That's just a wonderful presentation and such a wonderful resource. Many of you know about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, but if you haven't taken advantage of those resources, please do. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker, and she's Director of Advocacy for Cancer Care. And Ms. Chatelian will present the free services of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation um, and provide you with information about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Hi, everyone, and thank you for having me here today. My name is Lauren, and I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, as well as Cancer Care's Director of Advocacy. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that people impacted by TMBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include resource navigation, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, virtual community programs, including coping circles, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the TMBC helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker aware of the emotional and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TMBC. There are many aspects of the triple negative breast cancer diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services. Oncology social workers can help navigate ways to seek support services, such as individualized support or group support. Working one-on-one -on -one with an oncology social worker through individual counseling can offer a space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns. Joining a support group in an op can offer the opportunity for individuals to connect with one another, gather information, and provide support. Cancer Care and the TNBC Foundation offer specific national online support groups, which are moderated by oncology social workers. This includes an on online support group for those diagnosed, as well as a separate online support group for loved ones or caregivers. The online groups aim to reduce feelings of loneliness or anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increase feelings of empowerment, and provide practical information about treatment and resources. You can register for an online support group through cancercare.org by selecting our services, then support groups, or also on tnbcfoundation.org under living with TNBC, where you will also find all of the information that Ms. Brothers mentioned earlier today. Individuals impacted by TNBC may also experience practical concerns. These concerns may be addressed through resource navigation. Oncology social workers can connect callers to resource navigation, which is offered nationally to patients, post-treatment survivors, and caregivers affected by cancer. This is a short-term strength-based approach to resource navigation, where the resource navigator will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. 
If you are interested in learning more about the support services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the TNBC helpline at 877-880-8622. Thank you for your attention and opportunity to speak today. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this very informative program. I'll now go ahead and turn the workshop back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chatelian. That was really outstanding and uh, just a wonderful presentation. And now we're moving on um, to our Q&A, and so please have your questions ready. And they're going to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Uh, actually, um, Rob will explain to you how to ask questions, and we'll take as many of your questions as possible. Rob? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we'll take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. We have a question, um, our first question for Dr. Kaktamani. Um, seeking information on preventing lymphedema after bilateral mastectomy, clear lymph extraction and reconstruction in progress. Um, yeah, that's a that's a, a, a great uh, uh, great question. So, the best way to prevent lymph to, to treat lymphedema is prevent it. That's why it's extremely important after patients have had uh, axillary surgery that we start physical therapy and we have them meet with a um, physical medicine and rehab doctor so that they can assess what's going on and take care of things very quickly. Uh, having said that, that doesn't mean that if somebody develops lymphedema that we, we have nothing to do. There actually now are, besides, again, physical therapy and sleeves and things that um, that we've had out for a long time. We actually have uh, surgery options, which, uh, which typically the plastic surgeons do, and they do this reverse uh, mapping, uh, lymphatic mapping, and they're able to, um, to pretty much fix the lymphatics that were, you know, were, were damaged during the initial surgery. A lot of times they do this procedure at the time of the initial surgery, but they can go back and do it later if a patient does develop lymphedema. So I would suggest that if, if somebody has an issue like this, they visit with a plastic surgeon and explore this option as well. Excellent. Um, and um, well, the questions um, for, uh, for Dr. Kaklamani, if a, if a triple had residual disease, how do you follow them or for onset of metastatic disease? Do you use circulating tumor cells testing such as Garden 360 or Biosept or wait for symptoms of metastatic cancer? That's another great question, and this is one of the things that we're all working on uh, clinical trial-wise because right now the, the answer is we, we don't follow patients with anything. We don't have anything that's proven to help improve outcomes for our patients. We know that by, by doing things like Garden360 or scans or, or other blood tests, we just increase people's anxiety, and we definitely don't want to do that without uh, helping care for them better. But there's a lot of research going on in finding specific tests that will follow biomarkers and then potentially doing, offering treatments specific to those biomarkers. So um, I, would, I would urge everybody, if you have a clinical trial available close to you that looks at that, please consider participation because this is the only way we're going to learn 
if there's something to do to help um, prevent metastatic disease. Excellent, thank you. And another question for you, Dr. Kaklamani. Um, when you say carboplatinum is being added to early stage TNBC chemotherapy treatment, what stage of cancer exactly is this? And does there have to be lymph node involvement? They also um, appreciated your presentation being very informative and delivered in a way that was easy to follow. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. So uh, it does not have to be lymph node involved. A lot of triple negative breast cancers don't go to the lymph nodes, but they still have a high risk of spreading elsewhere. It, so most of the times that we recommend carboplatin is if the cancer is more than two centimeters in size, regardless of the lymph node status. Sometimes we actually talk about it in earlier stages, so even in smaller tumors. Um, because obviously we want to try to avoid uh, the development of metastatic disease. So this is another, it's a bit of a long question, but it may be a question that other people struggle with as well. I'm going to try to read this question um, for Dr. Kaklamani. I did all my treatment and got, I got excellent care, and after mastectomy I had a pathological clear response. My treatment plan was AC taxol mastectomy radiation. Um, I came, um, uh, I had been treated at another institution where I had a lumpectomy first. After the fact, I learned with TNBC I shouldn't have had that lumpectomy before treatment. I think that limited some of the things I could have had in my treatment plan. At this point, I keep wondering if I should have more treatment other than what I've already had. I hear about all these new treatments and I think, am I missing out on something? I just celebrated my two-year cancer anniversary. Um, great question and yes, I think this applies to many people, so thank you for asking. Um, so triple negative breast cancer is one of the breast cancers where we try in most cases to do chemotherapy before surgery. Not always, depends on the size of the cancer, but in most cases. And the reason is that if we do the chemotherapy before surgery and then we do the surgery, we can find out how well that chemotherapy worked. If it worked really well and there's no residual cancer, then we typically don't recommend any other treatment. But if it didn't work well enough and there's still some residual cancer, then we can give some more chemotherapy to help prevent the cancer from spreading. Having said that, we don't do that for every cancer. It depends on how big the cancer is. Sometimes we're also fooled thinking, into thinking that the cancer is smaller than it is. And we also, by that approach, we, we, we subject our patients to the maximum amount of chemotherapy. And sometimes we don't need all of that chemotherapy. We don't need four chemotherapy drugs. Um, so to answer the question, if somebody has already finished the chemotherapy, and it's been two years, we don't go back and do more chemotherapy because the, the, the chance of that chemotherapy being successful is really low, especially with triple negative breast cancer. It's fast growing and it's fast shrinking with treatment. So we try to do the treatment as early as we can because that's where the gain from our treatment is going to be. And another question for Dr. Kaklamani, do delays in chemo due to low platelets or low 
with the neutrophils, I'm not sure, reduce the effectiveness of the chemo in reducing the risk of recurrence? Um, and, and another wonderful question. So we, we try to not delay treatment, especially in triple negative breast cancer, because of how quickly it can spread. Uh, having said that, sometimes we just have to delay the treatment and, and, and we just have to accept that sometimes we do surgery and there's complications from surgery and there's not good healing and we just have to wait. But we try to do the treatment as quickly as we can because we know that this cancer moves fast. Um, now, if we have to delay treatment because somebody had an infection during treatment or their blood counts are low, uh, then it is part of, the, part of what happens. And all of these clinical trials that we've done have included patients that had delays in their treatments because they, the, their body could not recover fast enough for the next treatment. And one of the ways that, that you can think about it is, all of our bodies are not the same, and we don't all metabolize these drugs the same. And even though we adjust the drugs for the height and the weight of the patient, uh, we don't adjust them for the metabolism because we just don't know. And so if there's a little too much drug in your system because your body metabolizes the drug slowly, that also means you're getting a little more uh, benefit from that drug, right, because it stays in your system a little longer. So that's, that's okay. So we need to make sure that we treat the cancer, but also treat the patient. And if we need to delay treatment, it, it is what it is, and, and that's okay. We try not to delay treatment because somebody had COVID and had it badly because they didn't get vaccinated, for example, right? This is something that's avoidable. But there's a lot of other things that are unavoidable, and, and, and those we just do what we need to do to help the patients. Thank you. And a question from Ms. Chatelian um, in terms of the uh, role of the oncology social worker in providing support, if you could comment on that. Sure, absolutely. So through the TNBC helpline, um, you would be able to speak to an oncology social worker who could help access uh, several you know, of the services available. There are many national services, and we also provide psychosocial support during the call for additional individualized support. Um, if not local to one of our cancer care offices, we'd be able to explore some, some support um, local to you, whether that's counseling support or um, you know, finding a local agency or virtual counseling, um, if that would be of interest. And then we also focus on support groups. So there may be um, several support groups available including the ones that um, I had mentioned online as well. And then there are also oncology social workers, say, you know, maybe in the treatment center, um, and they may be able to provide some additional support as well. Question for Dr. Um, Kaklamani. I am a BRCA1 TNBC 1.5 year with pathological complete response. I know a lot of research is currently being done with PARP inhibitors. Are they indicated prophylactically to prevent recurrence? Uh, another wonderful question. Yes, they are in certain patients. And if somebody already had chemotherapy and they had a pathologic complete response, we know that the, the, the chance of the cancer coming back is really low. And so PARP inhibitors are not indicated in that case. But for cancers that are a little more advanced or they don't respond very well to treatment, then yes, we do recommend a year of PARP inhibitors to prevent recurrences. 
And I'm just going to ask our speakers to just give some takeaways. So for Dr. Kaklamani and Ms. Chatelian, if you would like to give our audience uh, just some takeaways that they can take away from today's program, just a sentence or two. Uh, sure. So um, exciting research is really what's going on. We're, we're realizing TNBC is not one disease. It's several diseases. And so instead of trying to focus on what it is not, we're trying to focus on what it is. And so trying to find specific markers that will attack that specific TNBC, which is very likely different from another type of TNBC. Thank you. And Ms. Chatelian, do you have any takeaway you'd like to give our participants today? Sure, absolutely. I would say um, that there's, you know, a lot of information and, um, you know, such as the program today that can help, you know, those impacted with or by TMBC, um, you know, have access to up-to-date information and become informed about, um, you know, latest treatments and coping with, you know, managing side effects and being able to hear from, you know, um, professionals in the field, um, such as the doctors on the call today. And also to note that there are um, wonderful supports available as well, um, you know, through the TNBC Foundation and um, in partnership with Cancer Care to be able to, you know, connect with others diagnosed with TNBC. We know it's such um, a specific diagnosis of breast cancer, and it's so helpful to have the TNBC community to be able to connect with others. I'd like to thank our speakers. You've just been phenomenal. It's been a great program. And uh, actually, um, I do want to, um, we didn't, we're not able to take all of your questions just because there are so many questions. We took some of them, but we weren't able to take all of them. And so I do want to comment on the questions. So for those of you who are able to ask a question, for those of you who have a question, we're in queue and didn't ask, get to ask it. And for those of you who are thinking of another question, please note that indeed, We'd like you to take, even if you asked a question, go back to your treating healthcare team, every all of you, go back to your treating healthcare team with your questions. Because remember, they have access to your medical records. They know the most about you, and they are quite able to address your questions as fully as can be. Um, that's, and also remember, your healthcare team consists not only of your um, oncologist, but also consists of oncology nurses, um, patient navigators, financial navigators, resource navigators, um, oncology social workers. So there's a whole team of people, uh, pain specialists, um, palliative care teams. There's a lot of people. So if you were to address a question to your physician, they have a whole host of people they can bring on board to actually assist you as well with anything that's troubling you. Most importantly, and I think this has come up on many of our calls, communicate. Bring your issues and your questions to your healthcare team and ask them over and over and over again until you get those answers, those questions answered. Again, I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.